I want to welcome you back uh, to our Wednesday night Bible study, and uh, we're continuing to go through the series when sinners say I do. Um, it's a marriage book but dealing with our sin nature. That if you've been following for a while, I try when I went through it to do marriage counseling for a couple that was getting getting ready to get married. I realized, man, this book is phenomenal on dealing with our sin nature. And so what I've tried to do is convert the book and take the marriage aspects out of it, not that I'm against marriage, but I want us to really understand why we struggle with our sin. And while we're saved, uh, those that have received Christ, and you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, you're still going to struggle with sin the rest of your life and realize that your heart is desperately wicked without God. And for some reason we think when I get saved, everything is going to be okay. And this has been, I hope, freeing for you and freeing for me. And every week when I... I've read the book, and uh, and I've listened to it, and then I get prepared to go through it. It's just like I get convicted over again. It just like hits me right where I live on, God, I've learned to act right, but what about my desires? You know, I really want to be forgiving. I really want to show mercy. I you know, really want to deal with the fact that I am the chief of sinners. So I want to encourage you. All this is on BassChapel.Church, and... Um, We've got a lot of aspects, and it's also in, in, in series. So if you missed anything, you can go back from the beginning, and there's several formats for you to listen to it. You can do a, a listen to it on Facebook, or we have a YouTube channel. We also have a podcast, which is kind of nice. You can listen to it in the car or uh, where your Internet may not be as good to watch video, uh, like where I live. I'm able to listen to it, and so anyway, so that gives you some aspects. Also, we have Sunday school virtually at, at 9:30, and uh, we also have our Sunday services that we're—that's the only service we're physically meeting together. That's at 10:20 in our gym, and we practice social distancing and all those things. And then we broadcast that uh, that worship service at 6 p.m. on Sundays, and you can go back and look at all those if you missed out. Um, if you know church members that, you know, maybe not be connected to the Internet, but they may have a computer or a phone, you might help them with that or let us know. We have different formats to do that. But we want to, in these times, we want to continue to help people be connected. If you're a regular giver, we have three ways that you can give. One, if you're physically here, you can give, or you can give online, or we have a secure P.O. box. And so... Uh, We'll continue to walk through this one day at a time, and I hope you're blessed with this. And so uh, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity to be here. I pray speak to us and help us to follow you and help us to just look in our hearts, Lord, and help us to be honest with ourselves and to get to the heart of the matter and the fact that we will struggle with this sin and we need your help to deal with it in our everyday lives. Thank you for salvation and sending your Son, and thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. Speak to us as we look at this in your name, Jesus. Amen. This chapter is called Forgiveness Full and Free, and how to unite, how to unite what sin has separated. So sin has separated us from a lot of stuff. In the previous chapter, we discussed the power of mercy in, mar in marriage and in life, but how the call to mercy comes from the mercy we receive from God in Christ. So we're called to give mercy and to show mercy because God has called us in his mercy to himself. And that's where I struggle with the most is not the getting of it, but the giving of it. And so we need to ask that. In this chapter, we're going to look at another aspect of mercy where we looked at forbearance last week. We're going to look at forgiveness. 
In Scripture, the ideas of mercy and forgiveness are intertwined and almost synonymous, but there is an important difference. Mercy can be extended to those who don't recognize it. This is where the problem comes in. I want them to recognize it. I want them to feel sorry. I want them to say, forgive me. But mercy says it can be extended to those that don't recognize it, whereas forgiveness is most often a transaction between parties. Forgiveness is dealing with the fact of we need to sit down and regardless of your response, I need to tell you I need your forgiveness or I forgive you. We're going to focus on the parable of a question and we're going to look at Matthew 18.21. Matthew 18.21 says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Uh, we're going to get into this, but Peter thinks he's just being really generous because I think if we, it's been a while since I've studied this, but you go back, it was like three times was considered the limit in the Jewish thought. But Peter's being, you know, generous and and magnanimous, and and uh, so he thinks he's doing well. Peter wants to to get specific on how many times do I need to forgive somebody <laughs> before I can make them pay what they owe me. Now, that never crosses our mind. Now, I want to be really careful on this. I don't know if it's going to cover it this much, but, you know, just because you forgive somebody doesn't mean you trust them. And doesn't mean that they've reconciled themselves. It's what we're holding against them. And so that's a, that's a difference. Peter was looking to make a deal, you know, kind of a win-win situation. God, I'm going to be generous, but where's the line? And But Jesus apparently had a different idea on the value of forgiveness, and we're going to see that here. And so you see this in Matthew 18, verses uh, 23 uh, uh, through 35. Um, therefore the kingdom of God may be... Com- uh, therefore the king of God may be king, uh, compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle them, one, brought, uh, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment uh, to be made. Um, so the servant fell on his knees imploring him, Have patience with me. I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him began to choke him, saying, Pay me what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him into prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had been taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he could pay his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So what we see here, to help Peter... And all of us understand the Lord tells in the parable of the one who forgives the debt of 10,000 talents. The forgiven debtor then encounters a fellow debtor, and he only owes him 100, while he owed 10,000, and now he tries to, which is microscopic, and he tries to choke him out. And, and so what we see here, in order to avoid any confusion, the Lord summarizes it in verse 35, in Matthew 18:35. 
so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. There's the rub. From the heart. You ever had your parents when you had children or siblings and you got in a fight, they made you make up, hug each other, give each other a kiss, all that kind of stuff. And you did it begrudgingly, but was it from the heart? So many times we do that with God and with the people we're dealing with. In case this throws you, it seems to suggest that God is unmerciful to his own children. No. Let me, let's emphasize the truth. And I want you to hear this, and I've got this you know, really marked. Extending true forgiveness is clear and per- persuasive evidence that we have been forgiven by God. The bottom line is that forgiven sinners forgive sin. You need to unpackage that for a minute and ask the question, have I really accepted God's forgiveness? You know, or have I been a Christian so long, I like the parable we talked about last week, you know, the parable of labors. Well, I've been doing this for so long, I deserve this and I deserve more. I deserve hell. You deserve hell. But God sent his son to die, to be buried and raised from the dead. You can see that in, in you know, 1 Corinthians 15, verses uh, 3 and 4. And so, very costly. In the previous chapter, like I said, we talked about forbearance, the grace to overlook offenses against us for the sake of Christ that we're overlooking. But forbearance comes into play when we, when we are truly able to cover a, per, a perceived offense with God's love, not retaining the smallest resentment. But in this chapter... Sin, this is sin that cannot be overlooked, um, but must be dealt with for the sake of Christ. In other words, we have to deal with this in churches sometimes with brothers and sisters because it says the discipline begins in the house of the Lord and we're not supposed to discipline the lost. But, you know, uh, when we represent Christ, if we don't discipline or if we don't seek forgiveness, then what are we doing for the cause of Christ or what his word says? We're lowering it. We're eroding it. We're going to talk about forgiveness that is required when sin is acknowledged and confessed. When someone has sinned and they've acknowledged it and confessed, forgiveness is required. But, oh, we want our pound of flesh, don't we? Because I go back to what I want you to understand. The reason you struggle with this is you struggle with a sin nature that you have to be aware of. Some of you may have an illness or a sickness or uh, an ailment and you become aware of that. And you become aware of either the mess that you have to take or the extra things that you have to do in order to live your life. But yet with the sin nature, we, well, it's, it's all over with. I'm good. Now, there may be more, uh, there, be, there may be no more misapplied or underapplied means of grace in life than, than forgiveness. So misapplied or wrongly applied. But when forgiveness is expressed according to the truth, which is God's word, there may, there may be a greater chance to be an agent of change and hope. So we've got to use forgiveness right. And so the next section, he talks about forgiveness reckons with the holy God. This kind of thinking leads us to assume that if our sin isn't bad, isn't as bad as someone else's, my problem with God can't be as, as bad either. So I want you to think about it. This is something I struggle with, and I don't think I'm better than anybody else. I mean, I really don't. But let's go back to it. This kind of thinking leads us to assume that if our sin isn't as bad as someone else's, 
My problem with God can't be as bad either. Go to James. How many sins does it take to send you to hell? How does God look upon sin? He can't, regardless. And we've got to see ourselves, as we talked about several weeks ago, as the chief of sinners. Paul said it himself. As we saw in chapter 2, we do not truly grasp the good news of Jesus Christ and the gospel until we see that our sin is against the holy God. Holy. We try to down... I go back to why did he have to send his son to die a horrific death and to be separated from the Father, which knew no separation, which is hell. Because he's holy and he takes sin seriously. Our loving Father cares so deeply that the, the severity of our sins committed against us in his perfect holiness and omnipresence and omniscience, he overlooks not a single sin. But in the same holiness, he also sees every sin. No matter how great, no matter how small, and regardless of the circumstances, it will be brought to life and to light. This is to say that the eyes of our compassionate and loving God, sin is sin, guilt is guilt, and all sin is against His limitless holiness. All sin. Splashing the water in my own face. There's no, I, I, there's no degree. God is holy. My petty indifference to others is sufficient to warrant the full wrath of the Holy God and require the blood of my Savior to take it away. My petty indifference against others. Yet some sins that others commit against one another can biblically and rationally seem larger and some smaller, i.e. the white little white lie. Be holy as I am holy. Didn't say perfect. That's not going to happen until you meet Jesus. Yet, you see the status of the one sin against is key. And the fact that all sin is against God locates every one of us in the 10,000 talent camp. Going back, chief of sinners. Again, a few weeks later, but we need to keep being reminded of this. Because it's like, well, I'm, I'm not as bad as they are. There's a lot of people that don't know Christ that act and are way better than I am. But yet, sin separates us from God and they need Christ. I love this book. Somebody gave it to me, and a lot of times when people give me a book, it's like, you know, you want me to read something else? I read a lot, so now you're forcing me to read something else. And still working on a book that my son gave me four years ago. I think he's, I think he's sadistic, but it's a, it's, a, it's a biography of Bonhoeffer. And I'm not teasing. It's around here somewhere. And I'm trying to pile through it, but it's been a while. That book is that thick. He is sick. You know, give me that, Mr. Uh, anyway, we won't get into that. But <laughs> here's the deal. Somebody gave me this book. And you know what? If you can find it, get it. The Valley of Vision. I made the mistake of when I moved, I gave it to my good accountability partner. And I had to move heaven and earth to find another one. And what it is is Puritan prayers. And it's just one little page a day. And the paragraphs are like this big. They will spiritually rip your face off. And you just read them and it's like, these people, they really wanted to be with God. And he uses a point from the Puritan prayers. Here's one of them. He says, let me never forget that the heathenness of sin lies not so much in the nature of the sin committed as the greatness of the person sinned against. 
so never let me forget that the the nastiness of my sin lies not so much in the nature of the sin committed but in the one person sinned against that we hurt somebody that we sin against the size of the sin is not ultimately determined by the sin itself but by the one who has sinned against think about that so if all sin is against God then all of our sin is big I want you to understand that okay who am I sinning against I may sin against a person but when I sin I sin against God and God is everything so that sin is big and again God's grace is matchless but we don't seem to be giving it to others when we start seeing ourselves in the real light, you know, sin is indefinitely, infinitely wicked because it rejects the one who is infinitely holy and good. The more we recognize the perfection of God, His holiness, and the more oblivious, uh, obvious this truth becomes. And this is the problem. We have watered down God's holiness. We have watered down His word. I don't have the right to do that. You don't have the right to do that. Either he's a liar, lunatic, or he told the truth. Either you're going to believe in faith his word or not. And if you're going to believe his word, you take it for what it is. I understand the arguments and things, but God has taken these 66 books by different people over thousands of years, and through the power of his Holy Spirit, they have a continuity. So therefore, you need to accept it for what it is and realize he's a holy God. Without understanding the depth of our sin against God and the riches of his forgiveness towards us, we'll never be able to forgive others. This is the key of what we're talking about today. Without understanding <coughs> the depth of our sin against God. We've got to understand we're not just sinning against that person, we're sinning against God. We're sinning against God when we don't extend forgiveness. We'll get into that in a little bit. And the riches of forgiveness towards us We'll never be able to forgive others. The depth of our sin, every every year at Easter, I just I see more. It's not that I feel like I'm sinning more, but I understand more the depth of what he gave to forgive me and how sinful I am and how I needed a, a holy God. Second Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We've been forgiven. We were dead in our sins, guilty, no way to move. But he delivered us so we can become the righteousness of God. The next section talks about forgiveness is costly. Forgiveness is costly, and sometimes it costs more than we think we can give. Think about that for a minute. Cost God his son. And sometimes we say, if I forgive them, I'm going to have to eat this, or I'm going to have to do this, or whatever, or they're still going to do that. No. It is though it is as though forgiveness flows between us through a pipe that has three valves. He's going to talk about. All three valves uh, must be open for forgiveness to move from one person to the other. So we're going to look at three valves, and we have a pipe connected to the other person, and we're going to for, uh, forgive them. And they all have to be open and for forgiveness to happen. So the first valve is controlled by the one who sinned is repentance and a request for forgiveness. So the first valve is controlled by the one who sinned, is repentance and a request for forgiveness. I mean, they have to have to ask that and see that. Now, again, forbearance says, I'm going to overlook this. We're not even going to address it. But forgiveness 
I mean, we can offer it without them being repentant, and that's good for them to know, but let's talk about ourselves. We need to stop waiting for the other person and keep short accounts and understand, you know, if you've impressed on my heart that I might have sinned against somebody, I need to deal with that. True forgiveness is best triggered by the offender turning his or her valve on first. So the one that did it, the first valve is for them to turn on and say, just like the prodigal son that we see in Luke 15, I'm putting my big boy pants on and I'm going and telling you what I did and I'm not worthy, please forgive me. And use forgiveness, not apologize or sorry. Those are for when you do a mistake. Forgiveness is when you've done something on purpose and we need to man up and woman up and Christian up and when we've done wrong, we need to ask for forgiveness. And don't sidestep it. This is the problem why the, the pipes are not flowing in forgiveness. The other two valves are controlled by the one who, sin, uh, who has sinned against. So the first one is controlled by the one who sinned, and the other two are by the one they've sinned against. Vow two is the mercy vow. It releases a person who sinned from the liability of suffering punishment in the sin. So you're saying, I'm going to give you mercy, and I'm not going to punish you for that. To open this vow, the one sinned against must lay down the temptation to say along with the unforgiving servant, pay what you owe me. Now, in society, we have laws, and a lot of times people do need to pay. You, there is a sowing and reaping principle. But we're saying, ideally, when you can do this, especially for the person that is lost that doesn't even understand the concept of forgiveness, to understand, I am going to forgive you, and I'm not going to hold this over you. What a witness is that? It shuts off the flow of bitterness, by opening the flow of love. In other words, you're not going to pay me back. And that's hard, because here God says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. God can forgive and forget, and we don't have that ability. And so the littlest thing can remind us of what that person does, especially, you know, if they don't ask for forgiveness, and you're just practicing forbearance, you know. Uh, opening the third vow requires the willingness of the one sinned against to absorb the cost of sin. I put that one in red. Absorb the cost of sin. I don't like that. I, I don't. Not so much about the pain, but I had to eat that. Now, there is a point, we see this in the Bible, restitution is a biblical thing. But as a Christian, we need to lay that aside and realize we just may have to eat that. It goes back to, pay me what you owe me. What am I owed? Hell. What are you owed? Hell. How's my sin uh, compared to the object of God? Now, God's not an object, but you see what I'm saying? How big he is. Regardless of what size my sin, he's a holy God and it's big and I'm the chief of sinners. So therefore, hmm, they owe a hundred, I owe ten thousand. I need to keep in perspective. You know. You receive emotional pain over what they did? Will the pain end with you or will it return to you? You endured a blow to the tr to your trust because of what was done over a period of time, will your heart attempt to force them to pay what they owe you? Or will you follow the footsteps of the Master and demonstrate the willingness to absorb the cost? Now, I want to be clear about that. We want the goal of reconciliation, but 
people are at different maturity things in their walk with God. And so there may be some people in my life that I forgive that they haven't changed. And so you're trying to heal that wound, and they keep putting their finger in it. Absorb the pain. I'm talking to myself, too. That hit me right where I live. Because what happens if I don't forgive them, the bitterness is growing. They're still this way. And so I'm still mad at them. And you know what? I'm wrong. Didn't say you trust them. Didn't say you let them back in. But that forgiveness and letting go and letting God handle it after you're clean on your part, you need to go forward. A natural response to uh, others uh, is pure uh, Matthew uh, 18.28. Pay what you owe me and do it now is what he's talking about. The biblical response, the idea of completely forthrightly and permanently forgiving others and releasing them from all liability can, can seem not only impossible, difficult, but less than fully just. That's the problem. It's, it's impossible for me to forgive them fully, but it's also not right. Nobody's going to get away with anything. You need to make sure that your plate is clean. In the end, the most common outcome is a wishy-washy middle ground, neither the, sin, neither the sin tantrum of demanding satisfaction or the godly extension of true forgiveness. It may be an inch deep. Okay, it's a, it's a, oh, it's okay. That tries to pretend nothing ever happened. Or perhaps it's the quick, of course I forgive you, while implying as long as you never do anything like that again. See why this has hit me where I live? Because of the reality of God's wanting to get to the heart. But true forgiveness sees another sin for the evil that it is, addresses it, then absorbs the cost of that sin by the power of God's abundant grace. I've got that one marked in purple, meaning that is the chestnut. That is the core of what we're talking about. I'm going to say it again. True forgiveness sees another sin for the evil that it is addresses it, then absorbs the cost of the sin by the power of God's abundance grace. Those, that simple statement, but those three things may take quite a while. I know in people that have wronged me, that first sees it as the sin of evil. Surely they didn't mean that, or that can't be bad. No. And we should take our time. We shouldn't be quick to judge. There's a point where we have to say that was wrong and that was clear. And this is the problem with our society. Yeah, I watched some reality shows sometime, and they got them, they got them caught red-handed on tape and camera, and the person still lies. This is what, what does that do for forgiveness? That's not forgiveness. That's nothing. And what does that do for the cause of God? Why did Christ have to come and die on a cross if there is no need for forgiveness or restitution? You've got to call it for what it is. So many times we say, yeah, they really lied to me, but the next one, we don't address it. I'm talking to Christian brothers and sisters between each other. Matthew 18 is the template. Forbearance may apply, but we're talking about when forbearance doesn't apply, apply and you need to address it. 
Well, you know, Pastor, you need to do that. Yeah, that is hard, and that is my responsibility when it comes to the body of Christ affecting the body of Christ. But Christian, you need to call it for what it is, and you need to address it. This is why you have the problems that you have. And then it absorbs the cost of the sin by the power of God's abundant grace. Love that statement. I can't absorb what that person did to me unless God helped me. You've given me so much more, and I'm, I, I'm sorry that I've held this. Help me to see your grace towards me so I can give it to others. And we talked about grace and mercy a couple weeks ago, that we need to... We need to give out that grace and mercy that God's given to us. Such forgiveness sets us free, and the count of sin is closed, canceled, blotted out, just as we see it in, in Matthew 18. Um, and so there, there it is. There's nothing in us that would naturally choose the way of full biblical forgiveness. See, this is what I want to help you with. This is why this book hits me right where I live, because we kind of glossed over. Well, I'm saved and I got the Holy Spirit, so I can just act right. Really? Because I feel the older I get, I've learned to act right, but in my heart, I still got all this junk. And I don't mean that your pastor's, you know, out there being a hellion, but I want to deal with my motivation. And the thing is, it's being aware that I have a sin nature, and naturally, I want people to pay and I don't want to choose full biblical forgiveness. It's just too hard, we might say, and adding to the challenge is the fact that the extension of true forgiveness can never guarantee we won't be wronged again. There it is. Nobody's going to get away with anything. God is in control. Forgive. So why even consider it? Because forgiveness, full and free, is precisely what has been accomplished for us on Calvary. Full. Free. So why am I holding back? I'm telling you, this like punches me in the spiritual face. Because, you know, there's just stuff, you know, you want to hang on to. And the one who has been forgiven is now able to forgive others. Forgiven sinners forgive sin. That's if that's the statement that you get tonight, forgiven sinners, forgive sin. And so the last part, or the next section, God releases the old to build uh, and the new. As we've seen Jesus in Jesus' parable in Matthew 18, ends with a sober warning. Those who don't forgive won't be forgiven. Forgiveness, forgiveness is at the heart of the gospel, and therefore it is the de- defining characteristic of every believer. Who cares what the world says, they're a pushover, it is the defining characteristic of the believer is forgiveness. To practice, how, if, 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 if forgiveness doesn't define you and me, why would anyone want to come to Christ? Because the first thing they have to realize is that they need to be forgiven. Understand? And so if you're not really practicing biblical forgiveness, then you're not really reflecting God's forgiveness. To practice forgiveness in full effect, there is one last thing we need to understand how to fully align our motivation for extending forgiveness to God's purpose of forgiveness. Why am I motivated to forgive, and what is God's purpose in that forgiveness? The goal of God's amazing forgiveness is evident in the context that Jesus establishes in the parable of the unforgiving servant. Just before the parable, you look at Matthew 18, verses 15 and 19, and it says here, 
if my brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be as you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whoever you bind, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by the Father in heaven. And so you go back and, and you, you see here the process that we're called to have forgiveness. I, every Christian should really be familiar with Matthew 18, verses 15 through 19. And what we need to understand here is as churches, this is what we need to be applying. Notice it says brother. We need to forgive those that are lost, but definitely if if forgiveness is our witness to show the forgiveness of God, then we as Christians need to get this down. And again, there's no time limit on this process. It can happen quickly. It can happen slowly. It can stop at any time. But it's a process that needs to happen. Matthew 18.20 says this, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I'll be among them. That's when Peter jumps in to ask, how many times are we required to forgive? That's the focus of Matthew 18, verses 21 35, as well as the preceding seven verses, is how sinners are to relate to each other in God's kingdom. We're saved sinners. He's telling us here in this whole section, how do we relate to each other in God's kingdom? The underlying assumption is that while sin can be assumed, whatever, wherever two or three are gathered, is never meant to divide. We need to assume, whether we're Christians or not, uh, when we get together, we're going to end up sinning against one another. And this is where churches have really suffered. This is where churches have been divided. This is where churches have split, is when they've let unresolved sin in the church and unresolved and so it's created a division, and it's hurt the, wisdom, the witness of God, because we are called to be known by our love. So we see that forgiveness must be exercised out of more than simply a desire to avoid God's disapproval or to drive away emotional pain caused by sin against us. Forgiveness was God's idea, was modeled perfectly in Christ, and is commanded in Scripture, having forgiven us, God now intends us to remain to not to remain merely forgiven loiterers in God's kingdom. We are called to pursue true biblical forgiveness that, God, that God's people might truly be one and one to unite and extraordinary in, in every area of life. Uh, be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Ephesians 4.3 we are called to be diligent in being unified. We are called to be known by our love. And so, Christian, you need to be ferocious about short accounts, not letting stuff lie, and dealing with forgiveness and practicing mercy. The gospel, let us remember, was created, has created something astounding, relationships among sinners, where the king's rule is experienced and expressed. That's the power of the gospel. Relationships among sinners, brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you, do you look at it that way? Do you see that with these sinners experiencing and expressing the rule of Christ, that, 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 yeah, we sin, but we have the rule of Christ in our lives that guides us? A lot of churches I've been in, you know, that have had disagreements, it's like, 
I'm not going to argue with you. And it's not because I'm the pastor. We're going to go to God's Word, and that's where we'll fall silent. That's the rule. Are you reeling from a grievous sin of someone else? Uh, if they came to you with a sincere, contrite confession, would you be prepared to forgive them? You know who you just thought of. My answer would be yes, and not because I'm your pastor, but because I know it's the right thing. Remember the key part. Forgiven sinners forgive. Forgiven sinners forgive. If forgiveness has been lacking in your life, perhaps God has a quiet miracle in store for you. Um, or could it be that there is some ongoing guilt or a habit of sin against uh, against that person for which you have not confessed or repented? You know, in other words, they've sinned against you, but now you're sinning and not forgiving them, and your bitterness, and you got to guard that. If so, pursue grace that and believe that God makes it available for you and others. What you need is the wisdom to humble yourself and disregard all explanations, all justifications and defenses under the penetrating gaze of God who knows all. In other words, he knows everything and he knows your heart and you know where you're at and you need to deal with it. Are you ready to own your sin against God and others through confession and repentance? You need to ask that question. Forgiveness and repentance is a powerful tool that repairs damage done to a sin relationships. Where forgiveness is employed and repentance is lived out, it's, it transforms. And he says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, be, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. Don't look like the image, be changed. Forgiveness humbly sought and humbly given profoundly expresses the glory of God because forgiveness is at the heart of the gospel, the true demonstration of God's love for those who deserve his wrath. The true demonstration of God's love for those who deserve his wrath. We have been forgiven the greatest debt. Let's learn how to forgive the debtor. Think about it. We've been forgiven the greatest debt. Let's learn how to forgive the debtor. Where are you at today? Psalms 139, 23, and 24 says, Search me, O God, know my heart. Test me in thought. See if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me along the way everlasting. A little time of invitation. You need to ask God this week, or as you review this, and ask God, where am I not forgiving? Or where have I not seen forgiveness? Where am I holding back? Let Him deal with those things. You need to, you need to keep short accounts. Forgiven sinners forgive sin. Lord, I thank you for this day, and I pray you search our hearts and help us to see in any area, personally or as a church, where we may not have forgiven or we need to seek forgiveness. Help us to begin to keep this pipe clean and flowing between the relationships you provided for us. I pray bless everyone in your name, Jesus. Amen.